Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the book of John, chapter 6, verses 28 through 40. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. This is the, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our sermon text this morning comes from Proverbs 6 and 26. I'm going to start in the sixth verse of the sixth chapter of Proverbs. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber. And then jump to Proverbs 26, starting in verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, there's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. Father, now we pray for the illumination of the Spirit to guide us this morning as we explore again uh, the Proverbs and, uh, Lord, what you have delivered and given us in your holy word. May our hearts be convicted and convinced by its truth, and may we be transformed by it and leave this place differently than the way we came in. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I love nature documentaries. I think it was, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago my wife bought, uh, then the kids bought the uh, Planet Earth, set, I think it was like six videos, uh, she calls it the natural sleeping pill because whenever that narrator's voice is on, 
I think it's David Attenborough. I mean, it just, it just sends you into la-la land. <laughs> uh, but it's a great series, and I love, to, um, I love to explore and learn about the natural created world. And um, there are stunning landscapes in that series from all the different environments around the globe, but it's really about the animals and the creatures that inhabit those stunning landscapes. And you can learn a lot from watching uh, what they do and how they live. And when you do, you realize that they're not all that unlike us. For instance, uh, the bird of paradise tries to impress the females with his colorful feathers and songs. There's a little dance he does. He sort of clears off the, the forest floor and makes a a place for him to sort of show himself off. He's not always successful. Um, you can learn a lot from a mother bear who, um, God help any creature who would get between uh, a mother grizzly and her cubs, not unlike human mothers. And then dolphins work together in pods, and they're really intelligent. Uh, they hunt together and they trap fish and find food together. Well, the book of Proverbs often looks to the natural world for sources of wisdom. The book of Proverbs. It looks to the natural order. It looks to the created world. It looks to animals and nature as sources of wisdom. And our passage is one example of that. A study in the ant's behavior is a lesson in wisdom and an illustration in making the most of opportunities. The ant. Go to the ant, O sluggard, it says. Consider her ways and be wise. And before we get to the ant, we have to ask the question, what's a sluggard? Well, the sluggard is the opposite of the diligent person. His is a life of missed opportunities. When opportunities present themselves, he rouses himself like molasses oozes out of a bottle. He is not quick on the jump. He's sluggish and slow and hesitant when he should be decisive, active, and forthright. He's lazy, the sluggard is, constantly taking the easy way out, losing one opportunity after another, due to his inaction. And he lies there day after day, helpless in his wasted life. And it's not that he can't do anything, it's that he won't do anything. And the sluggard is another character that reappears throughout the book of Proverbs about 30 times. What does our text say about the sluggard? Well, it says three things primarily. Number one, the sluggard will not make up his mind. Verse 9 asks, how long will you lie there? When will you rise from your sleep? Just as a quick side note, uh, Proverbs, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom mocks absurdity. So if it sounds like, oh, well, that's not very nice to the sluggard, uh, just know it's a, it's, a, it's a teaching tool, okay? So the book of Proverbs is mocking foolishness. 
It's not an individual person mocking another individual person, but it's sort of mocking uh, this image of someone who would behave in such a foolish way, okay? So just so you know, um, you know, if, if you're offended that an ancient book like Proverbs doesn't have the modern sensibilities, sort of touchy-feely emotional sensibilities we have today, just know that there's a, um, it's a literary device. Wisdom, the voice of wisdom mocks absurdity, and you see that all throughout the book of Proverbs. And so, verse nine, wisdom asks, how long will you lie there? When will you rise from your sleep? That's far too definite for the sluggard. He has no answer, because while the world is passing him by, he makes excuses. In Proverbs 26, we just read, he says, I can't go outside, there's a lion out there. A modern version of that would be, I can't go to work, I might get hit by a car. That's what the sluggard says. What's instructive for us, when we think about the sluggard, someone who is sluggish and slow and lazy is, in Proverbs, the sluggard is never equated with the poor. Their situation, the poor, properly speaking, is the result of circumstances beyond their control, whether it's tyranny or oppression or being shut out of opportunities. But the sluggard is poor by virtue of his moral degeneracy, okay? So the sluggard is not, biblically speaking, the poor. In fact, several other places in Proverbs uh, instruct not to feed the sluggard for fear of removing his motivation, which is probably why Paul in the New Testament says, if a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. He's probably thinking of Proverbs here. He's not shutting up his heart against people who are genuinely in need, poor people, He's thinking about someone who otherwise could help his own situation, but refuses to because he's lazy. So the sluggard is not to be considered equal with the poor. The poor, on the other hand, are the object of God's compassion. God cares a great deal for the poor. The poor often are people who work. In fact, you've heard the phrase, the working poor. Yeah, these are people who are often anything but lazy, but for whatever reason, lack of opportunity or lack of access to education or someone modeling the right behavior for them, they are stuck in a situation of perpetual poverty where they work, but they're not able to make enough money to have a decent living. We should be understanding. Truly poor people deserve our understanding and compassion, not disdain and ridicule. But God cares a great deal for the poor. And elsewhere in Proverbs, the wise person is someone who dedicates some of their income to care for the poor. That's a wise person in the book of Proverbs. So don't get it twisted, okay? The sluggard isn't to be called poor, he's in a whole different category because he's lazy. So number two, the sluggard will not finish things. He's a consummate procrastinator, and his unreliable nature make him a source of irritation to everyone who has to do business with him. And on the rare occasion he finds the motivation to get going, it's too much for him and the impulse dies. 
Proverbs 26, 15 says, the sluggard, when I say this, I want you to close your eyes and imagine and, and create a mental image, okay? The sluggard buries his hand in his dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. Can you picture it? It's funny, right? I'll keep you open your eyes. I'll illustrate for you. The, the sluggard is, is like this. <laughs> he can barely put the food in his mouth. He's so lazy. In other words, he doesn't stay with a task all the way through to a strong finish. You know, put that, put that food in your mouth. He doesn't finish strong. Even if he starts off strong, it dies for lack of motivation. So if he starts off well, it just kind of fizzles out in the end. So the slugger doesn't finish things. Now I have to make a disclaimer here about procrastination and about being a sluggard and all those things. Um, our digital age has presented real challenges to our ability to see tasks through in a timely manner. I just, I just finished a book called Deep Work. I think I'm so excited, I shared it with probably a dozen of you this week. I just read a book called Deep Work. Who's heard of this book? Okay, one, maybe two people. Um, it says that for most people, real productivity requires a singular focus on a task uninterrupted by the constant barrage of emails and notifications and text messages that are on our laptops, our smartphones, and our devices. And those are what the author calls shallow work. It's not that they're unimportant things, but they don't require the deep focus necessary to accomplish important projects. And the author marshals all sorts of evidence. I tell you, by the fifth chapter, I was a changed person. Because our brains have been rewired by the digital age with all the different distractions. And so, um, you may be a procrastinator because you're a sluggard, or you may just need to block out times where you eliminate distractions so you can finish projects that require deep work. So. If you're thinking, gee, I procrastinate, you may not be a sluggard, you may just need to learn to discipline yourself and shut off the Wi-Fi connection so you can get some work done for a while. You have to learn to eliminate things that compromise your productivity because for the sluggard, an endless sequence of little compromises defines his life. Listen to what Derek Kidner says. Derek Kidner says, the slugger does not refuse work entirely, but deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. So by inches and minutes, his opportunity slips away. What are we talking about this morning? We're talking about making the most of opportunities. We're talking about not letting opportunities slip away because we are busy either with our own comfort and laziness or with other distractions. So what's the application? Take advantage of your opportunities. The Bible seems to have a very high value and premium on doing that, on not letting opportunities slip by you. Now some people say opportunity only knocks once, I don't know if that's true or not, but I just know that I don't, you, you don't want to take a chance with it, right, when opportunity comes. And so take advantage of your opportunity. Number three, the sluggard will not face things as they are. In other words, 
The stresses of life make him shut down. He'd rather sleep instead of facing the challenges of the day. Proverbs 20, 13 says, he who loves sleep will be brought to poverty. I have an internal alarm clock, long before I read this book. In the morning when I kind of don't want to get out of bed at around like, you know, the 5, 50, 6, 10 zone, I hear a voice in my head saying, he who loves sleep will be brought to poverty. And I roll out of bed. I, I learned it as a kid, but the sluggard, he loves sleep. He just, he can't wait for an opportunity to sleep. I'm not talking about strategic napping, okay? So I actually believe in that. Like, like brilliant geniuses throughout history, you know, were up at 4 a.m. or whatever it was, and they scheduled like a 30-minute nap. It's a very good thing to do. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about someone who all they want to do is sleep, and they steal away from work so they can sleep, and they don't have like an alarm timer on their smartphone. They just sleep. And you know, a certain amount of stress is good for you, right? Uh, we live stressful lives. A certain amount of stress you need to get you out of bed in the morning. There are things to do, places to go, people to see. And if you didn't have a certain amount of stress in your life, I mean, God knows what he's doing, right, with the way pressures sort of bear down on us. He knows how to get us going, and God wants us to get going. But what's hard about this is we live in an overstressed society. And sometimes our answers to stress are reactionary. So there's this like pendulum swing back and forth in our culture right now between stress and leisure, and sometimes we overreact instead of creating the kind of balance we need to live in a type of harmony. In the 1996 John Krakauer book, Into the Wild, he told the true story of Christopher McCandless who left behind the rat race of modern life for a kind of wilderness minimalism. And about, I don't know, 10 years later, they made a movie based on the story, but McCandless vanished into the Alaskan wilderness and his body was found after he had starved to death in the cold tundra. But there's a scene from the movie where Christopher McCandless his father was a successful engineer who had a several patents, and he went to college, and at the end of college, he had $24,000 left over in his college account, and he gave it to a charity and took the rest of his cash in his pocket and sat down at a campfire and burned it. Because he, he, he just saw this sort of, you go to work so you can pay your bills, so you can live, so you can back go to work. You know, this sort of rat race we're all in, where our lives are sort of constrained by all of these rules and constraints of like times and rules and regulation. And we can sympathize with the desire to break free from the chains of modern life, right? I mean, we can sympathize with that, right? Because it can get to you after a while. It's just like this endless, exhausting cycle. But the slugger doesn't have a philosophy of minimalism. Like we could all probably benefit for a, for, from a kind of minimalism where we get rid of the things, you know, like a Marie Kondo thing, right? We just get rid of the things that you don't need. You know, you go in the closet or, you know, look at the outfit you don't wear and you throw it away or you, whatever it may be, but that's not where the sluggard is. He's not trying to live a minimalist life. He's just a bum. Sluggard's a bum. That's what wisdom is saying. The sluggard is a bum. Um, speaking of bums, about 25 years ago when Maribel and I were, um, we, had, we were young, I think we had, just, we had just gotten married, we were about to get married, and we were, we were in a small church, 
And uh, we had a campaign, the church had this campaign where we were going to take a break two Sundays of the month from Sunday school before service started to canvas the neighborhood. And it was in kind of a, I don't know, kind of a rough area of town. And, and so I, I, I was always someone who loved evangelism, and I, I don't know if she went out with us, but we went out and there was a couple guys on the bus bench that we would, who were there seven days a week on the main street corner. We invited them to church and they came and we were really happy. And so we had Sunday evening service back in those days, and back in that, the kind of church I grew up in, we had a testimony service. And so we had testimony, and Mar- Maribel pops up, straight face without a hint of irony um, or jest, and said, you know, I just want to give my testimony and thank and praise the Lord for those two bums that came to church this morning. <laughs> and the pastor said, um, I think you mean transients. She wasn't trying to be funny. That's, that's just what we called homeless people. They were bums. Don't call homeless people bums. But what does the sluggard need to do? The sluggard needs to go to the ant of all creatures. So that's sort of humiliating, right? Your life is so bad, you need to, you need to learn from an insect. Go to the ant and take notes. And what are three things we can learn from the ant? Well, one, her inner motivation. Verse 7 says, without having any chief, officer, or ruler. The ant is driven by an inner motivation, an inner ethic. She doesn't need an overseer. You know, there's no boss ant standing over the rest with like a whip, making sure they all don't slack off or, or their breaks aren't too long. No one's ever seen a foot-dragging ant. Ants are anything but lazy, right? And an ant has within herself all the motivation she needs to make something of her life. She never lets up. Secondly, what can we learn from the ant? Hard work. She prepares her bread in summer, it says in verse 8. Proverbs probably has in view the harvester ant, which is common to Palestine and that region of the Mediterranean. And it works hard in the summer months. And you've seen them do this. If you've ever been at a Fourth of July picnic and you've been sitting on a blanket and you look down, one of your potato chips is likely being carried off by an ant. And if you let, if you let it, she'll walk off with the whole bag because she's a hard worker. And, you know, they work hard to store up in the summer months. They're self-disciplined. They're industrious. They're prudent. You know, we were not made just to work, but to work hard. And the reason why hard work does something for us, this is back to the point on focus and accomplishing things, is because work is sacred. Work is sacred. There is something in each of us that experiences an intense sense of gratification when we start something and see it through to completion, whatever it is and whatever you do. Whether you're a stay-at-home mom or you work out in the corporate or you're a lawyer, an accountant, or a plumber, it doesn't matter. There is something about hard work that is meant to pour into our joy. 
And I dare say that with all the distractions we have in this technical digital age, that a lot of that joy is being robbed because that focus that God wants us to have in working hard to accomplish projects is taken from us because we're always sort of being distracted by little things here and there. I just read another uh, statistic about suicide and depression. It's just going up and up and up, especially with the younger generation who are raised in this digital technological age where it's hard for them to even focus on homework without all the distractions. And so the stress of having something over your head all the time that you've got to finish, you know, just drags on forever. It never ends. And so this idea of sort of work and Sabbath rest is completely been obliterated by the technological age we live in, where you worked hard for a certain time of the week and then when you're not working, then you rest and have leisure. But the leisure and rest is mixed in with the work so that neither are fully appreciated completely and we are overstressed and, anx and anxious and fearful and our joy is sucked right out of our lives. So this is not just some abstract idea, this is important stuff for each of us no matter where you are in life. And third, the third thing we learned from the ant is future preparation. The ant is one of many examples in nature whose survival depends on its future orientation. It works in the present for future gratification. It works right now for a payoff that is down the road. Right? The ant does not live its life based on instant gratification. Verse eight, she gathers her food in harvest time before the winter months. When did Noah build the ark? Before the flood, right? She is future oriented. What's the motivation? Her own survival. It's not just to be, look how much, look how much I stored up for the winter. The ant is working for her own survival. She takes advantage of opportunities now to prepare for what's coming down the road. And this is where our entire sermon is gonna pivot into our application points here. What should you be preparing for right now? Because I don't think I'm looking at lazy people. Like I, I've gotten to know most of you pretty well. This is not a lazy group of people. You guys are well-educated, you work hard, you're successful in your jobs and careers and all of those things, um, but you could be guilty of another kind of laziness. You could be a sluggard in a different way by neglecting other things that require your attention. So I would say, I'm gonna I'll flip the, the image here of this passage and say it's probably not hard work that most of us are you know, guilty of not doing, but possibly neglecting other areas of our lives. We might be neglecting relationships. Maybe you've secured a financial future, but you're ignoring your spouse, and in that way, you're a sluggard. Maybe you've worked hard on your job, and you're moving up through the ranks, but you're neglecting your kids not pouring into them, 
not giving them the attention, not taking advantage of those opportunities to bond with them, to connect with them, to mentor them, to pour into their lives, to love them, to spend time with them, and that's how you're a sluggard. See, the fool is the one that does not give attention to the most important things in life. And in our culture, we often have this gradation of things that we think are important, which is usually achievement and success, nothing wrong with that. But then marriages and families fall apart. Or whatever it may be, maybe it's a relationship. Working on your marriage, relationships, friendships. And so the proverb, this, this, our, our, our topic this morning really isn't even about the sluggard. It's about being diligent. What opportunities right now are you missing? What opportunities right now are you not being diligent to take advantage of? In the same way that the ant doesn't wait till winter to start gathering food, you don't wait till your marriage falls apart to start asking God to bless your union. You don't wait till your kids are in full rebellion to find out how to parent better. And you don't wait till people are dead to give them flowers. You take advantage of opportunities while they're in front of you, while they're there for the taking. And that means you have to consider, you have to think hard and consider about your, consider your life. Think about your opportunities. Think about where you are. Think about the people that God has sent into your life. What opportunities might you be missing? Our problem isn't that we're not industrious or busy, we just may be busy about the wrong things. And it's not to the complete neglect of something, right, where I need to completely abandon this area that I'm busy, but maybe we just need to share our energy with something else that we need to be busy about, right? We're not lazy about everything, we just may be too busy about the wrong things. When Jesus was on earth, he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And he prayed to God, I have glorified you on earth by accomplishing the work you gave me to do. And lastly, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, night is coming when no one can work. Are you exploiting, yes, that's the right word, exploiting today as an opportunity from God to become wisely prepared for tomorrow? Are you? Are you taking advantage of the opportunities in front of you to be wisely prepared for what's coming in the future? Because you don't want to get into the future and say, and have regrets, because that's the worst feeling in the world, knowing that you squandered the opportunity, you squandered the resources, you squandered the blessings God gave you because you were busy doing other things, because when the future comes, I mean, you can't go back in time. This is the hard lesson of, of Proverbs. This is the hard, the hard saying about the sluggard here. Where will you be one year from today are you going to be a more fruitful man or woman of God? Don't sleep when you should be working. Let's pray. Father, now we acknowledge, O oh God, that 
in our culture and world of hustle and bustle and distractions, it can be easy to be undisciplined. In fact, this may be our greatest weakness is that if we're disciplined, we may be disciplined about the wrong things or we lack discipline altogether. Help us, O God, to be disciplined in the school of wisdom and to give attention to the right things, to work hard while it's day for the times coming in the future, and that may look different for each of us. It might be a changed work situation, a changed living arrangement, a changed economic and financial situation where our opportunities are different, less than they are now. Help us to be faithful, help us to be diligent, and help us to take advantage of every opportunity you have given us, most of all, to do the work of our Father in heaven. There are things you've commanded us, things that you long for us to do, not only to please you, but to have a flourished and prosperous life, O God, a life that glorifies your Son, Jesus. Help us to do that. Help us to examine ourselves, O God, that we might wisely prepare for the future. In Christ's name we pray, amen.